Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Yes, indeed. We are back, everybody. Welcome to everybody listening to this podcast around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. It is a great pleasure and an honor to have you here with us on this podcast as we search out the real history of the founding of the United States, and we bring back to life the voice of the Founding Fathers through their letters and correspondence, as we've been doing for uh, a great great many episodes at this point. This is going to be episode number 26. Hope you enjoyed the previous episode. Uh, I think I've got a really good one. You know, this this episode is going to have some uh, pretty good content in it. It's going to have a good message. Uh, we've got a, a few guests on the podcast today that are really going to say some really interesting things. Our, our good friend, Mr. Tudor, is back. He's going to be our guest on the podcast. We're going to go live to Mr. Tudor. And then, of course, uh, we've got uh, Mr. Dilly making a return appearance on the podcast as well. We haven't heard from him in a long time. Uh, direct from London. So we're going to go live to London in 1774 to Mr. Dilly. And he's going to be giving us an update from London. Uh, good guest on the podcast, as always. It's good to have a, a guest on the podcast from London during this pr- time period, isn't it? So we can get a perspective from across the ocean during the 1774 time period. And uh, obviously, you know, welcome a, welcome a new year, I guess, right? 2022 is here. Welcome to it. I wonder sometimes people will be listening to this podcast in the future in like 2024 or something like that, and they're going to be like, they'll be like, yeah, 2022 isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, I know. Uh, this is kind of a, this uh, this is a podcast that really does communicate, obviously, some of the current things going on around me as I do this podcast. So just bear with it, I guess. But yeah, it is 2022. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like you know when the year clicks over, it's just another day on the calendar. But there are other times I think to myself, it's an opportunity, perhaps to visualize the future and to really take the opportunity to try to grab a hold of it. You know, people call that New Year's resolutions in some cases. And I wonder, do any of you have a New Year's resolution out there? Uh, if you if you do, uh, feel free to go over to my Patreon site. Um, leave a comment over there if you want to subscribe to the podcast over there or leave a review on this podcast for free. Uh, that doesn't cost anything. And let me know uh, if it has anything to do with the Founding Fathers studying history. You know, a, a perfectly good New Year's resolution, I think, for the United States of America. Like, if 320 million people were to come together and make a New Year's resolution, I think we could all agree that the American people could probably come up with a number of them that would be really good for us. But I'll tell you one that really sticks out in my mind, obviously. You know what I'm about ready to say, right? Because because of who I am, my passion for history, my passion for this history topic specifically, and the fact that I do this podcast, I think a fantastic New Year's resolution for the United States of America would be to not just study the founding of the United States, but to study history. I've talked about it before in, in a few episodes. I even did an episode really specifically on this topic. And I do believe firmly, and I remain resolved in this regard, that the study of history in the United States of America is, is lost. It's gone, except amongst a, a few people. There's a few of us who keep that torch burning, but I, I fear with each passing year and certainly with each passing decade, that torch gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and I, I, I fear that it might eventually be snuffed out. 
And I that's why you, you folks have no idea how much I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Not just because it's my podcast, but this podcast, you know, I, I've, 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 I've held back saying this before, but this podcast is really going to be a metric by which the United States of America, I think, is judged. Not by me, but by history in some regard. Uh, whether or not people actually decide to study this material and listen to this podcast. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's because I know that there aren't very many Americans reading the books, reading the letters, and doing an in-depth individual study into these things offline. I know they're not. And I know that because I listen to people talk. I listen to people talk about the Founding Fathers, both in person and online, and I can tell you they're not doing it. Some are, but the vast majority are not. So this podcast is really designed to make it super easy to study the Founding Fathers. It's never going to get easier than this podcast. If anybody out there in the country, and I know you folks who listen to this podcast probably realize this by now, but if anybody ever, you know, if you ever try to show anybody this podcast or share this podcast with anybody and they say, oh, I don't have the time, you know, it's not going to get any easier. It's not. This podcast is the easiest way you're ever going to study this kind of depth into the Founding Fathers. You're never going to get it any easier than this. And if, if the United States of America decides to ignore this kind of material, then it's going to, it's going to, it's going to really confirm the worst fears of Mr. John Adams that we st- that we talked about in a few, a few episodes back, you know, that the true history is not lost. Remember that? Uh, I don't think the history is lost, like I said, because it's right here in front of us. We just have to study it. The problem is if we don't, it will be lost. It'll just kind of be forgotten because, I mean, it can be there all day long. I mean, you can have you can have it in the books and the pages of history, but if nobody reads it, it might as well not even be there. It's kind of like uh, the old saying, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody is around to hear it, did it ever really happen? It's kind of it's it's that kind of thing. To keep this alive, we really have to we really have to be studying it and talking about it with each successive generation, which is why I sincerely encourage you folks to share this podcast with anybody that you know who's in school especially and studying some history, be it in high school or in college or whatever, but they're just not getting this this kind of material out of out of out of college. And if they're if you think they are, they're probably not. Like if you have a, a child or a nephew, niece, whatever, what have you, cousin, in college, and you think, well, they're in college, surely they're studying this material, I can, I can guarantee you almost to a 100% chance they're not, because I was there, and I remember. And the, the little bits and pieces that they do study about the founding of the country, I'm just going to go ahead and say it quite, bla- quite directly, it's crap. Uh, and there's a lot, there's probably some history professors eventually might listen to this podcast and be like, well, what are you talking about, it's crap, it's crap, you know it's crap, I know it's crap, we all know it's crap. So let's let's just let's just all get it out there in the open. How do I know that? Because I was there, and because I'm a history enthusiast, and I have studied this material at great length outside of college, and I know what I'm talking about. And no, I, I'm not talking about the one-off history class where you actually do dive into the founding fathers and talk about them at some length. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of education that 90% of the people who go through college get, and that's it. That's not they don't go to those classes, ladies and gentlemen. They don't. They they take uh, the well-rounded education course, right? They uh, they study a lot of things, but they don't study that. So again, I you know I really am grateful for those of you who do share this podcast with folks for that very reason. I really am grateful. It, it does so much to help the voice of the founding fathers get out there. This isn't so much my voice as it is theirs. This podcast, in a great many ways, is really their voice come to life. I'm just the like I said it before. I'm just the vehicle for them to come back to life. So let's um let's continue to do that. 
on this episode of the podcast. And I hope that you folks are having a good 2022 so far, uh, the new year. And I hope uh, this year is going to be a good one for you. I hope it's going to be a good one for the country. And frankly, I hope it's going to be a good one for the world. I hope we can all rise above the problems that we have in the world, and we can um, we can kind of get back to the the good old fashioned good nature of people. Let's aspire to that. Let's aspire to the good old fashioned good nature of people, which uh, has existed in in times past and still exists in some form today. I think we just need a little bit more of that. So let's do that. Let's get into this episode of this podcast. We're going to study some great stuff. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Let's get into it right now. All right, folks, let's get this party started. Uh, the first letter that we're going to talk about is going to be from our uh, our friend, Mr. Richard Cranch. Uh, he's writing to John Adams, and this is going to be a letter from October the 15th of 1774. And the letters that we're going to talk about today are going to talk about updates on what the British military is up to in Boston, in Massachusetts, and some other things related to that, as well as just an update as to what's, what, what the sentiments are within the colony about this kind of issue, specifically the military movements of the British. Now, we've talked a little bit about this before. It might seem a little bit redundant, but believe me, it's not. Uh, this is hugely important. And the, the, the little details here really do play a big role in how all of this is perceived by the Founding Fathers and the actions that they're going to take, and also the actions that the British military is going to take. So let's get into this, and this is written from Boston, again, October 15, 1774. Quote, I hear that a letter from one Peters, a clergyman in Connecticut, has been intercepted and that an attested copy of it is now before our Congress. The contents of it are very extraordinary. He informs the person to whom it is addressed that he has received advice that several regiments more from England and a number of men of war are expected, and that when they arrive, hanging work will begin and that those only will be safe whose lintels and doorposts shall be sprinkled. Our ministers in this province put up their ardent petitions in public for the direction and blessing of heaven on your Congress. End quote. Okay, so he's basically, there's a letter, there's a letter intercepted, and it's basically providing a window into what's going on with the British. What are they doing? And it implies that several regiments more are, on, are en route to Massachusetts from England. That's interesting. And a number of men of war are also on the way. You heard that quote. And a number of men of war, end quote, uh, are on the way, basically. And a man of war, if you don't understand, if you don't recall what that is, it's basically a ship. Doesn't sound like it, but it is. It was uh, a name given to a large British warship of the time. And then um, Mr. Cranch here says that, quote, when they arrive, hanging work will begin, end quote. So more military from England is expected. And this hanging work that he uh, he mentioned, in other words, they're going to go on the offensive, is what he means by that. That's what I take it to mean. And uh, we talked about before, there's a lot of people who have sentiments in the colony, including the United States Congress in some respects, at, oh, excuse me, the, the, col- the co- Continental Congress, not the United States Congress. This, this is before the war. There's no United States yet. But the Continental Congress, some people there are very much of a mind that these military operations in Boston are defensive only. But Mr. Cranch seems to imply otherwise based on this letter that was intercepted. They seemed, It seems to imply that there's more work to be done besides just defensive. Interesting. So the, some people are beginning to get a mind that offensive operations are going to be undertaken at some point. As we well know, will happen. And I explained that before. And of course, those of us who, who know the history know that, yes, 
it's going to happen. He also, there's an interesting line in here that, again, most people would probably read over and either pass over it without thinking about it, or they would just, you know, go, what was that? Ah, doesn't matter. Moving on. And then there's a few people out there who will actually know what this is. Let me read this to you again. Quote, and that those only will be safe whose lintels and doorposts shall be sprinkled, end quote. What does that mean? And he doesn't mean this literally, by the way. This is kind of a uh, metaphor. He's speaking, uh, not not literally, but figuratively. What, what does that mean, sprinkling of the lintels and doorposts? Well, when I was reading it, I, I knew immediately what it was. It's a reference from the Bible, specifically from the story of Exodus. Uh, those, those of you who... Uh, might remember in, in that particular story, the um, Jewish people were instructed to put blood on their doorpost, their lintels and their doorposts, so that the uh, the angel of death would pass over them and wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't harm them or their families. That's where that comes from. And why why in the world am I pointing this out to you? It's again, you know, there are so many of those little subtle biblical references in these letters. I, sometimes I don't even stop to mention them, but this one was so obvious and so blatant, and to some people, very, very confusing, that I felt like I would address it just to make a point. Number one, I said I said once before that to understand John Adams, and this was not written by John Adams, by the way, this was written by Mr. Cranch, but John Adams does this a lot too. I actually just read a letter yesterday, same same kind of thing. I, in my private study, not not on this podcast, but yesterday. By yesterday, I mean on my in my private study. To understand John Adams, you have to understand he he was a religious man. I, I firmly believe that you cannot understand that man unless you understand he was a religious man. You can't. It's impossible. That's that that I would contend that some historians probably disagree with me on that. Frankly speaking, I don't care. I've studied this for a long time, many many years. I, I stand by that. I'll stand by that until my dying day. And I say that also about many of the Founding Fathers, to really understand their writing and to really understand what it is that they're talking about some of the time, not all of the time, but some of the time, you have to understand the Bible. Oh my gosh, Roman, what are you, what are you preaching to us? You're getting religious on us now? What's the matter with you? What is this, the, the Roman religious podcast all of a sudden? No, I'm just speaking the truth. This is 100% factual. And I'm just saying it, just to say it. I'm not saying you got to be a Christian. I'm just saying you have to understand the Bible. If you want to understand some, some of what the Founding Fathers wrote. Otherwise, you're going to pass over stuff like this, and you're, no pun intended, and you're going to be like, what in the world does that mean? And you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the intention behind it. You're going to miss what the, what their perspective was, the, the stories that inform their experience. You're going to miss it all. And how do you understand the Founding Fathers without understanding that? Frankly speaking, I don't know. But, um... I just thought that I would mention that I would be a uh, I would be a poor host of this podcast and a poor student of the founding fathers if I didn't point that out. So let us let us continue. This letter, uh, you know, anytime Mr. William Tudor writes a letter, I pay attention. And this this next letter that Mr. William Tudor writes is got is very very good. This man was very artful. In his correspondence, I mean, I, I I wish I could write like William Tudor. Basically, is what it amounts to. I aspire to be a William Tudor, and I I think a, a great many Amer well, I don't know about a great many, but there would be many Americans who also would aspire to be a William Tudor if they knew who he was. Uh, of course, that's why this podcast exists just to introduce you to people like this. So we're going to read this letter. Uh, pay attention to this one. We're going to spend some time here. This was written from William Tudor to John Adams on September seventeenth of seventeen seventy four. Written from Boston, quote, Nothing very material has taken place here since Mr. Revere left Boston, by whom you will have particular accounts, the fortifications at the entrance of the town, and entrenchments 
on the neck advance rapidly. They have 300 soldiers constantly at work there. Seven regiments are already there with a train of 30 pieces of cannon. And two more regiments from Quebec are every week expected. What all these formidable military maneuvers are to terminate in, time will discover. End quote. Okay. He's giving us a military update on what's going on in Boston, obviously, because uh, Mr. Adams is in Philadelphia. He's away from the action. He needs a reliable source, a trusted associate, to inform him on what's going on in Boston. Mr. Tudor, as well as others, uh, play a big role in that. And I find this very fascinating. Quote, Nothing very material has taken place here since Mr. Revere left Boston. End quote. Who, who's Mr. Revere? And during this particular time period, I run across that name in these letters a lot. Never first and last name, always just Mr. Revere, at least as best as I can tell. I assume this is Paul Revere, and it makes sense. He's carrying dispatches from Boston to the Congress, and he was one of of, of a number of people. He wasn't the only one. He was one of a number of people who, who, who went out of Massachusetts uh, in 1775 when the British military determines to carry on offensive operations, uh, their version of a Desert Storm, as I talked about in a previous episode. He's uh, one of the people who carries that message out into the uh, Massachusetts countryside. And he makes an appearance here in this letter. Interesting. Okay. And that's just kind of a fun fact. You know, no extra charge for that. And, you know, keep in mind again, you know, always keep in the back of your mind that that example that I gave you before about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. What was the, what was the purpose of Desert Shield? It wasn't the stated purpose, by the way. It wasn't like, the you know, the president at the time... Or the general in charge, uh, as I mentioned before, General Schwarzkopf, came out and very overtly said that we're doing Desert Shield in the Persian Gulf in 1990-91. We're doing Desert Shield so that we can launch offensive operations. It's not what they said at the time, because they, they, they didn't want to tell the Iraqis, yes, we're coming in. Not, not, not at that point, not overtly like that. They did eventually, of course. This is the same kind of thing. Quote, they have 300 soldiers constantly at work there. End quote. Quote, the fortifications at the entrance of the town and entrenchments on the neck advance rapidly, end quote. Quote, seven regiments are already here with a train of 30 pieces of cannon, and two more regiments from Quebec are every week expected, end quote. Does this sound like a defensive operation? You're talking about a relatively smaller town at the time. Boston was a, I mean, for the time, it was a big city, I guess. But from our perspective today, it was a smaller town. And... This is one heck of a military operation for just that small town, isn't it? I mean, there is no way in Hades, if I was alive at the time, with the same, operating under the same intelligence that I do now, that is to say, the same competency that I have now, would I believe that this is a defensive operation? It's, there's no way. At this point, this is offensive military operations getting ready to be launched. 100%. No way around it. And for those of you who might be listening to this podcast or in the military, I, I would I would ap- I would thoroughly enjoy your analysis on this one. If you think I'm wrong, or if you think I'm right, or if you think or, or none of the above, you know, the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I mean, explain. Ha- looking at those quotes that I just gave you, if you want to leave a review on this podcast, or again, segue over to the Patreon side of my podcast, Patreon.com/slash/podcastswithroman. If you want to talk, if you want to add some commentary about this, I would thoroughly enjoy hearing from you. And I think. The rest of the people on the podcast listening would would like to hear from you as well, if there is anybody from the military listening. Uh, somebody who is actually uh, 
served in Ford operations, something like that, or, you know, logistics, a logistician who's done planning for the military, something like that, uh, for military buildup purposes, you know, and honestly, if you were a part of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I'd love to hear from you too, because uh, it sounds a lot like that. I mean, he says it very clearly here, quote, the fortifications at the entrance of the town and entrenchments on the neck advance rapidly. That sounds like a rapid military buildup, doesn't it? It really does. And the way these regiments keep piling into the city of Boston, I mean, mm-mm-mm. This is very clear here. Very clear what's going on. No doubt. No doubt in my mind, and there shouldn't have been any doubt in anybody's mind at this particular point in time that this was offensive in nature. Let's talk about that. Quote, General Gage professes to act only on the defensive. I wish we may not soon find something else is designed besides the bare protection of his troops. Should he commence one act of hostility, such as the spirit that prevails universally, a civil war would inevitably be the consequence. The people expect and are preparing for the worst. It is thought that within a month, there has been sold out of this town 5,000 small arms. Guns are so scarce here now that there is not a complete firelock to be purchased, end quote. Now tell me you don't find that paragraph to be fascinating. Tell me you don't. And I will tell you to, to pause the podcast here, rewind about a minute and a half, and start listening again. There is so much in that paragraph to pick apart, it, it, it almost defies belief that William Tudor could pack it all into that small paragraph. Let me take, let me take this down for you. Let me, let's start from the top. Quote, General Gage professes to act only on the defensive, end quote. Of course he does. Of course he does. Just like the United States in the Persian Gulf and Desert Shield was really all about the defense of Saudi Arabia, right? And it was, don't get me wrong, it was. But everybody knew. Everybody in the military at the time knew that they were going to go, well, at the top. I don't know, the, the people down down at the bottom probably didn't, but at the top, I know Schwarzkopf knew they were going to go in. And Colin Powell knew they were going to go in. They knew. And General Gage knows he's going in. He is going to go into Boston. I, I know he does at this point. He may profess otherwise, and he may be in denial, but you don't build up this level of arms and not conduct some kind of offensive operation of some kind. He's preparing for it. Maybe he thinks that, oh, it won't be necessary or something's going to be fixed. You know, the British Parliament, surely the King and the Parliament are going to do something eventually to so that this can, so we can slow this down and everything's going to be fine. He might have been thinking that at the time, but he's in denial. And by the way, the, the, neither the Parliament nor the King are going to do anything to slow this down because they are quite determined in their tyranny. Quote, should he commence one act of hostility, such as the spirit that prevails universally, a civil war would inevitably be the consequence, end quote. William Tudor is 100% right about this. So keep in mind, he wrote this. It's unimpressive to us now because we know what happens, but he wrote this in September 17th of 1774. In about eight months, seven, eight months, he is going to be proved 100% accurate. As soon as General Gage takes that one offensive action, civil war begins, and it's on. And there's no turning back. And that one act of hostility ends several years later in the founding of the United States of America. Well, the solidifying of the United States of America at the end of the war. It was founded, obviously, before that, when the war began. Just that one offensive action led to all that. Isn't that interesting? That's pretty. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? These things have huge consequences. Governments rarely understand this, by the way, because they're so myopic and they're so blinded by rage and hatred and tyranny against their own people. They don't see the consequences of what it is that they're doing. And yes, I said it. Governments are often blinded by the rage and hatred of their own people. You see it all the time. I mean, good grief. Just cast a glance out into the world and tell me you don't see that. And I'll, I'll show you. Tell me you don't see that. And I'll, I'll probably say you should go see an optometrist. 
Now, let's deal with this issue again. Do you know what I'm about ready to talk about? Did you hear it when I read that paragraph, the end of the paragraph? Did you hear it? Some of you folks know where I'm going to go with this. I'm like a broken record, right? No, I'm not. Actually, the Founding Fathers were. I'm just repeating what they say. I don't make this stuff up. I don't inject anything into these conversations most of the time that the Founding Fathers don't bring up first on this podcast. Let me let me read it to you. I'm just going to do it. Quote, It is thought that within a month there has been sold out of this town 5,000 small arms. Guns are so scarce here now that there is not a complete firelock to be purchased, end quote. And keep in mind, again, firelocks are firearms. That's what they mean when they say firelocks. That's what they called them back then. It's It would be like somebody saying a rifle today. Now, isn't this interesting? Why in the world are people buying so many guns? Quote, the people expect and are preparing for the worst, end quote. See, the people are watching this military buildup. They're not stupid. The people of Boston are not morons, nor are the people of Massachusetts or the rest of the colonies. These are sharp people. And they see what General Gage is doing, and they see what his soldiers are doing, and they see this constant influx of military hardware, and the reaction of the people of Boston is to go down to their local gun store and buy 5,000 small arms. That's what, that's the number he throws out there. Quote, there has been sold out of this town 5,000 small arms, end quote. And he says the guns are scarce there now. They can't find them in the stores. Haven't we seen this in the United States before? Oh, excuse me, after. Haven't we seen that in the United States after 1774? Yes, we have. When was that? I'm not going to say it. I'm going to leave it for you folks to answer the question. Sometimes I do that for, for very specific reasons. But any way you swing it, I really do firmly believe this. And this is going to be a controversial thing for some people, not for me. I don't care. It's just it's just the factual truth, I believe. I have a bit of a, a, a theory about this. The American people are an interesting bunch. They, ha they have their roots in liberty and freedom. And there's something about that liberty and freedom. It creates in them a very accurate radar for tyranny and oppression. And when the American people start spinning up that radar and they start detecting tyranny and oppression on the way, their instinctive reaction is to head to the gun store and buy firearms. Yes, I said it. Deal with it. And you know, that theory is backed up by 250 years of history. Now, if you can refute 250 years of history and what Mr. William Tudor is writing about here, and every single thing that has happened since 1774, good luck with that. Good luck. Now, some somebody might say, oh, Roman, you've gone too far. This is, this is getting political now. Roman, you're, you're getting political. No, I'm not. And if I am, it's within the confines of what the Founding Fathers are talking about. I told you we were going to get political. I just told you I wouldn't be partisan. There's a difference. And somebody might say, oh, Roman, this is partisan. This is right down the middle of America right here. You got people on one side and you got people on the other side. I don't care. I'm not taking sides. I'm just telling you what the American people do when they see tyranny on the march. William Tudor's telling you exactly what they do, and I'm simply repeating it. This is 100% factual. This is what they do. Right or wrong, this is what they do. And whether they're accurate about the tyranny or not, you can, we can have a friendly debate about that. Whether the American people are accurate about whether tyranny is on the march or not. But when they start spinning up their radar and they start detecting tyranny, their first stop is the gun store to pick up firearms. Why? In 1774, it was because in a few months, seven months specifically, the British military is going to be shooting at them. I want to say that one more time loud and proud so all of, the, all of the people out there who might disagree with my sentiments on this and also disagree with Mr. William Tudor, which is a hard thing to do considering how brilliant this man is. Yes, in 1775, the British military, that is to say their own country's military, the, the military of these colonists, their own standing army, 
that is supposed to protect them is going to be shooting at them to kill them. That is why the people of Boston bought 5,000 small arms. And why, quote, guns are so scarce here now that there is not a complete firelock to be purchased, end quote. Because the colonists knew that if the British military, they didn't start this shooting war. Keep in mind again, the colonists did not go down and buy 5,000 small arms and start shooting at British soldiers. That's not what happened. What happened was, is the British military decides one morning in 1775 to march out of Boston and go attack civilians in the countryside. That's what happened. And they started shooting at those civilians, and the civilians wanted to be able to shoot back. Americans know instinctively that to keep your liberty, you have to be able to shoot back. If you can't shoot back, it's over. Your liberty is gone. Your freedom is gone. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are not worth the paper they're printed on. You might as well run it through the shredder, set it on fire, and cast the ashes to a strong east wind. Oh, Roman, you're, you're being too serious. This is supposed to be a fun podcast. Who said? Anyway, I, I, have, I have fun doing this. This is just reality, folks. You know, it, it's, this is something that has to be said. If, if we don't say it here on this podcast, who's going to say it? Nobody, because nobody else is reading these letters for crying out loud. Now, on this podcast, I, I cover the good and the bad. I, I told you before, like the Boston Tea Party, I 100% disagree with that. I could easily just, you know, glossed over that, but I dwelled on it actually for quite some time, and I've mentioned it in a number of episodes that I completely disagree with it, and I think it was stupid. I'm an equal opportunity guy. But let's, let's, not, uh, let's not try to cover up history here. The American people have a long and, uh, you know, v- vigorous history with defending themselves against tyranny. And part of that is going into town and buying 5,000 small arms. Just FYI. And if you've got a problem with that, then you've got a problem with the Founding Fathers, and you've got a problem with Mr. William Tudor, and you've got a problem with all the people of Bo- or most of the people of Boston in 1774, and you've got a problem with the people who just wanted nothing more than their own freedom, and they wanted nothing more than to just defend themselves from a tyrannical regime who was going to use the military of the country to go out and murder people. Standing armies are dangerous things, folks. And to leave a population of people vulnerable to a standing army is evil. It's evil, it's malicious, and it's always going to end the same way. I talked about the Oprichniki in Russia in the 1500s. Go back a few episodes, you'll, you'll hear me talking about Ivan the Terrible and the Oprichniki. Mass slaughter by the government. Mass slaughter. Hard to do when you got 5,000 guns running around out in Massachusetts, isn't it? When the people can shoot back. Really hard to go out and massacre the people. Interesting, huh? Let's continue on with this. Quote, The countrymen almost everywhere turn out and exercise three times a week. There is said to be 50 cannon in the upper part of the county of Middlesex, completely fitted for service. May heaven interpose at this very critical period and avert the calamities which must ensue. Should we recur to this dernier resort, but should it be necessary to recur to it, I shall think myself fortunate to be here, to join my countrymen in their noble cause— we can never bleed in a more righteous one, end quote. Let me read that to you one more time, quote. I shall think myself fortunate to be here, to join my countrymen in their noble cause. We can never bleed in a more righteous one, end quote. And I gotta say, those are some of the finest words that I have ever heard said from this time period from any man or woman. Isn't that something? I mean, it inspires me. If I had a time machine, I I, I would seriously consider, and honestly... I would probably just say, to heck with it, and I'd hop in the time machine, I'd go back to 1775, and I would join these people on the front line. I'm not making that up. Because, you know, William Tudor inspires, this guy could inspire an army if he wanted to. He really could. The man is eloquent, and he makes his point very clear, very direct and to the point. Now let's talk about some of the stuff he's, he's got in this paragraph. Quote, 
The countrymen almost everywhere turn out and exercise three times a week. There is said to be 50 cannon in the upper part of the county of Middlesex, completely fitted for service, end quote. By the way, that 50 cannon, those aren't British military. He's basically talking about the people of Massachusetts. They've got cannon fitted for service. We talked about the cannon before. When John, uh, the, the road trip with John Adams, there was, uh, there was this uh, talk of him going through uh, a town and being welcomed, and they were firing off some cannons, welcoming them, so on and so forth. Big celebration. And I, I made the comment, I, I made the comment of, you know, could you imagine anybody welcomed into a town in the United States today to the sound of cannon fire? Like, like the town rolls out the cannons and starts firing them off to welcome the somebody into the town? Or just firearms, you know, just have some people out there with some firearms shooting them into the air. Oh, Maroma, that's dangerous. Okay, maybe they got blanks in there, I don't know. But just firing off firearms. Can you imagine that happening today? I can't. I can't imagine that happening in this country today. This country's too delicate for that kind of thing. A little too weak in the knees. Uh, but back 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 during this particular time period, it was just, it was just something you did. And uh, the county of Middlesex apparently having having some cannon outfitted for war for combat was perfectly normal. And I made a comment about that. I I, was, I asked the question. I think I asked the question. Why don't counties or local municipalities own cannons today? That's a curious question. I, I don't honestly. I don't know. I mentioned the uh, the M198 155 millimeter howitzer, which is like a standard issue military howitzer. Uh, why don't uh, why don't municipalities or states? And I'm not even talking about the National Guard. I'm talking about the state. Uh, why don't they own some of these cannons? I don't know. I don't know. The people of Massachusetts did back in the day. I don't know why we don't keep that tradition going. People out there are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, Roman! For Pete's sake, are you trying to say that counties and states in the United States should own actual howitzers, cannons?" Well, not necessarily. I'm just asking the question, mostly to get people thinking. Uh, I, I sometimes I ask these questions not because you you might think the answer is is a in a, for me is like an inevitable yes. Like, oh my gosh, Roman, he's saying that they should buy M198 howitzers and deploy them in like uh, Middlesex County in Massachusetts. No, not necessarily. I'm just asking a question because nobody else will. Hey, I mean, obviously there was a frontier. And there was a French and Indian War not long before this, and it was fought not terribly far from Massachusetts, right? And you, you might think, well, that's why the cannon's there. Y yes and no. I mean, that's part of the reason, and it's also partly not the reason why. There was this uh, concept of communities defending themselves back then that has been lost today. And it's been lost because we have a standing army. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, and the Founding Fathers will tell you over and over and over again. If you don't believe me, just read what these people wrote, for crying out loud. Spend the next five years doing an in depth study in this and read every instance where the founding fathers say that a standing army is dangerous. George Washington said it. A lot of them said it. Heck, the, 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 the entire colony of Virginia said it at one point. We're going to talk about that later. Let's continue. Quote, there has not been any court allowed to sit in any county since the 1st of September, nor do we attempt to fill any writs. The extreme inconveniences that must soon be felt from this suspension of all laws, law processes, will, I fear, produce the most shocking convulsions. We already suffer greatly. You sympathize with us, sir, and I will undoubtedly represent the necessity we are in of relief. The nervous language with which you convey your virtuous, patriotic, and sympathizing feelings must make impressions on your brother delegates. I am sure of all your exertions in this way, and from them form the most sanguine expectations." End quote. And sanguine, that, that word is not really in common usage. I can probably count on one hand the number of times in the last 10 years I've actually heard a human being in the 21st century utter the word sanguine. It's, uh, it basically implies a kind of confidence. 
So he's talking about the courts. We know that the courts have been upset by the Intolerable Acts, right? We talked about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the episodes on the Intolerable Acts, and you really need to listen to that those two episodes before you go any further uh, to really get the full the full feel of these episodes. You could still understand the stuff, but it's going to be a little bit lacking. But anyway, the courts have basically been up upended by the the British Parliament and their Intolerable Acts. So he's talking about the the quote extreme inconveniences end quote that are that are being felt from all from the quote suspension of all law processes end quote. He's basically talking about the necessity of law and order. You have to have law and order. If you don't, you've got a problem. Isn't that a lesson that we could learn today? Now you might say, well, Roman, for Pete's sake in the United States today, we've got law and order all over the place. As a matter of fact, we've got too much law and order. Law and order here, there, and everywhere in between. Uh, okay. What I'm saying is, and pay close attention to what I'm about ready to say, when certain people try to come into a system and uproot and over and, and turn over and flip sideways the local judicial system, it causes problems. Quote, extreme inconveniences, end quote. Quote, I fear produce the most shocking convulsions, end quote. Right? So let's not be doing that. Let's not be upending the judicial system for the sake of whatever. Lest we feel, quote, the most shocking convulsions, end quote. Which usually means people are going to die. I'm just putting that out there. You can disagree with me. Reasonable people can always agree to disagree. All right. Well, most of the time. But um, it is what it is. But he's trying to convey to um, John Adams that they are in need of relief. And John Adams knows that, of course. And he, he's trying to, you know, also impress upon John Adams that they do have confidence in him, his representation of the colony of Massachusetts in the Congress, but that he must impress upon his, quote, brother delegates, end quote, the necessity of the times. And I think they understand. Well, some of them do. Some of them are kind of on the fence about it, I guess. And how does he describe John Adams' language? Quote, your virtuous, patriotic, and sympathizing feelings, end quote. There's that word virtuous again. Make note of that. We're going to keep seeing that word virtuous come up over and over and over again. Again and again and again. Virtue, virtuous, etc., etc., etc. What does that mean? And it doesn't mean, I, I, you know, people try to make something different of that. If you want to know what the Founding Fathers, this is how I, this is how I figure this stuff out. You don't, want to, you don't want to look at virtue in a modern context. You want to look at it how the Founding Fathers looked at virtue. And... There is a specific way that they looked at virtue, very, very specific. And remember when I said earlier in this episode and previously that to understand John Adams, you have to understand his religion, that he was a religious man? That virtue that we're talking about, those two things go hand in hand. So if you ever get, if people ever get confused or they try to confuse you about what virtue is, they try to tell you that, well, virtue is the 21st century definition of virtue. No, it's not. It, it's, it is, it is what history it is what what it is in in the space of history. So for so when we're talking about the virtue of the founding fathers, we're not talking about 21st century stuff. We're not. Remember what I said, don't try to overlay a modern context onto onto history. Don't do it. That's a big mistake. So if you do want to understand what this word virtue means and why it shows up so much in the founders' writings, you have to understand again, John Adams, religious man, so on and so forth. You have to and you have to understand where he gets that concept of virtue and where Mr. Tudor gets that concept of virtue because it always comes from the same place. It, and it doesn't come from their own head. See, that's the difference between 1774 and today. The Founding Fathers got their virtue from a very specific location. In the 21st century, oftentimes people get virtue from inside their own head, and that's a problem. 
because there's no consistency. There's no common. There's no common thread to pull from. It's it's it varies wildly depending on who you're talking to. And the good thing about the founding fathers is is that it doesn't vary wildly most of the time. It's right on page, figuratively and literally. When I say it's on page, I mean it's on point, and it's literally written on the page. If you know what I'm talking about. Again, you know these are these are just the facts. Facts are stubborn things, right? These stubborn facts always get in the way. Let's conclude this letter. Quote, Our provincial congress is assembled. They adjourned from Concord to Cambridge. Among them, and through the province, is the, the spirit is ardent. And I think the inhabitants of this town are distracted to remain in it with such formidable fortifications at its entrance. Besides the regiments expected from the southward and Canada, we have several companies from Newfoundland, of which we had no apprehension until they arrived. The Tories depend that the administration will push their point with all the force that they can spare. And this, I think we ought to expect and take into our account. End quote. Isn't that interesting? So according to Mr. William Tudor, and his perspective might be a little bit biased, but according to Mr. Tudor, it's the Tories that are trying to push for outright conflict. It's basically the, uh, the pro-tyranny types. The people who are in favor of the parliament and the king and the tyranny and the laws and the oppression and all the rest of it, they are pushing for outright conflict, which is pretty normal, actually, when you think about it. Wait, what? Roman, what did, what did you just say, Roman? What? Uh, yeah, you heard me. It's pretty normal for the pro-tyranny, pro-oppression types to push for outright conflict. They tend to be the most belligerent, don't they? Honestly, the people of Boston really just want to be left alone. They just want to mind their own business. And they're not really doing anything, are they? I mean, other than 4,000 patriots marching because they thought Boston was literally under attack by British warships, the colonists in Massachusetts have literally done nothing. Not since the Boston Tea Party... And all that was was just throwing some tea into the harbor, which, again, I disagree with, but it was a really a small issue. The Tories, on the other hand, seem to be, according to Mr. Tudor, they seem to be pushing for a broader conflict. Very, very interesting. And he's talking about more, more soldiers coming in. Quote, Besides the regiments expected from the southward in Canada, we have several companies from Newfoundland, Newfoundland of which we had no apprehension until they arrived. End quote. In other words, nobody knew they were coming. And it's actually questionable whether or not General Gage even knew that they were coming. There are all these reinforcements being funneled into Massachusetts by, by the hundreds and thousands. Tell me again this was all about being on the defensive. No. The British military, from this point, is preparing for war. And they're not preparing to defend themselves. They're preparing to go on the offensive and start a war. That was always, always what this was about. The tyrant is basically done making laws at this point. They're done. They've, they've got the oppression, they've put it in progress, it's, on, it's, it's basically in motion. Now it's time to enforce the oppression, and that starts with killing people if necessary. The British military is going to push out into the countryside and start killing people. I mean, think about that. Think about if that was your military today, whether you live in Europe or you live in the United States or wherever. Well, let's say, you know, some, the, the military suddenly shows up in your town, and the town is blockaded, basically. Fortifications are being built. And they're doing it with the intention of pushing out into the countryside and killing people. Let's continue. Uh, we're going to read a letter from John Adams to a Joseph Palmer written on September the 26th, 1774. 
from John Adams to a Joseph Palmer. And this is written from Philadelphia, of course, because Mr. Adams is still with the Congress in Philadelphia at this time. Quote, Before this reaches you, the sense of the Congress concerning your wisdom, fortitude, and temperance in the Massachusetts in general and the county of Suffolk in particular will be public in our country. It is the universal sense here that the Massachusetts Acts and Murder Act ought not be submitted to a moment. But then, when you ask the question, what is to be done? They answer, stand still, bear with patience. If you come to a rupture with the troops, all is lost. Resuming the first charter, absolute independence, are ideas which startle people here. End quote. So he's basically saying that the people in Congress are nervous. And returning back to the original charter of Massachusetts which would basically be to throw off all of these intolerable acts completely and utterly, and reject entirely the military governor of Massachusetts, General Gage, martial law. It, may, it startles people, and of course, independency makes people nervous. Of course it does. Nobody's really talking much of independency at this point, except a little bit. We mentioned that on a previous podcast. There was a mention of it, but very rarely. And by the way, did you catch that? He mentions the Massachusetts Acts and the Murder Act. The Murder Act was another name for the Administration of Justice Act. We talked about that in the Intolerable Acts. If you want to know, again, if you want to know these things in depth, uh, go back to the Intolerable Acts episodes and listen to those. It'll be very informative to you, if you haven't listened to those already. And this is very fascinating. Quote, They answer, stand still, bear with patience. If you come to a rupture with the troops... All is lost, end quote. So this is basically the Congress communicating to the people of Massachusetts. And by the way, a rupture with the troops again means conflict, fighting with the troops. They're basically telling the people of Massachusetts for crying out loud, don't get into a scuffle with the troops. If you do, all is lost. Now, what does he mean by all is lost? I don't think he means that the cause is lost. And I don't think he means that liberty is lost. I think what he means is, is that all hopes for a peaceful solution are lost. I believe that's what he means here judging by acts that he will take in the future. Because once it does start, John Adams is fully committed to basically independence and, if need be, war with Britain. He's fully committed to it once it starts. So he clearly doesn't think that all the, the, that the cause is lost if war begins. He doesn't believe that. Clearly he doesn't believe that. Judging by, again, future actions. You wouldn't know it as of the date of this letter, but again, 250 years of hindsight, we know that. But again, they're still telling the people of Massachusetts, don't fight with the troops, just just, just hold on, hang in there, guys, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. They are trying here to resolve this peacefully, trying so hard. Let's continue uh, on his sentiments with regards to what's going on in Massachusetts, his reply to what's going on in Massachusetts at the time. Quote, It seems to be the general opinion here that it is practicable for us in the Massachusetts to live wholly without a legislature and courts of justice as long as will be necessary to obtain relief. If it is practicable, the general opinion is that we ought to bear it. The commencement of hostilities is exceedingly dreaded here, and it is thought that an attack upon the troops, even though it should prove successful and triumphant, would certainly involve the whole continent in a war. It is generally thought here that the ministry would rejoice at a rupture in Boston, because that would furnish him with an excuse to the people at home and unite them with him in an opinion of the necessity of pushing hostilities against us, end quote. Okay, this is really, this is really the big ticket item of this letter, right? But again, he starts off this paragraph by saying again, quote, hostilities is exceedingly dreaded here. End quote. D don't, 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 don't fight with the troops, basically, is what, is what they're saying in Congress. Don't do it. Please don't do it, for crying out loud. And, and the people of Massachusetts don't. We know that. 250 years of hindsight. They're not the ones who start this thing. They could have. 
Lord knows that they got 5,000 firelocks running around just Boston. They could have started a shooting war if they wanted to. They didn't. They were buying those weapons for defensive purposes only. They were the ones doing the defensive operation, not the British. It was the colonists that were being defensive. That's usually how that works out in the United States. I'm just saying. But this part here towards the end, quote, It is generally thought here that the ministry would rejoice at a rupture in Boston, because that would furnish him with an excuse to the people at home and unite them with him in an opinion of the necessity of pushing hostilities against us. So what they think, and he's saying that what they believe in Congress is that they want the colonists to start shooting, because they want an excuse to bring down the hammer and start shooting people and to push hostilities and to unite the people back at home. Basically, he means Britain. So when he say, he says, quote, furnish him with an excuse to the people at home and unite them, end quote, he's talking about the people in Britain. Unite the people of Britain. And isn't that interesting that a government would try to force a confrontation, try to get another side, try to get the side that opposes them to start shooting so that they can unite their side and engage in open hostilities towards the other side. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to say that again, just just so this settles in and so that we all get a very clear picture of how government works when it goes dark. Because I want I, this is not just isolated to King George III. This has happened before, and it will happen again. I guarantee it. The government in Britain at this time, according to the people in the Congress, they really believe this, according to John Adams, that a rupture, a conflict with the troops instigated by the colonists is much desired by the king and the parliament back in Britain because they can use that as an excuse to rally their side, the loyalists, and unite them against the opposing side and use it as an excuse to push hostilities, a.k.a. start shooting people. This is how government works when it goes dark. And if you think it can't happen to you, you're delusional. Oh, Roman, why do you gotta be so harsh? Constantly saying people are delusional who don't believe every word that you say. It's not what I'm saying. It's what the Founding Fathers are saying. Why do you think they were so skeptical and so nervous about a standing army? We read it before. We read the words right off the page from George Washington. We read the words right off the page. Why do you think these people are so nervous about a standing army? And why do you think they feel like a, quote, well-regulated militia, end quote, is a necessity of a free state? Why do you think they believe all that? You think I make this stuff up? I, I know there's going to be people, I know I know some of you folks out there are like, Roman, for crying out loud, we, we got it. We understand. We, we know this stuff. We, we're, we're worth you on this. I, I know you are. But there's going to be people who roll into this podcast who literally have no clue how this really works, how the real world works. They have no clue because they don't ever crack open a history book. Or they do, but it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not the right, it's not the right history book. It's, um, it's either something that just kind of glosses over this history or it doesn't really talk about it entirely. It just talks about little bits and pieces here and there. It doesn't come out of the letters from the Founding Fathers. Which is, which is, again, why I, I dwell on the letters is because this is hugely informative stuff. But governments, when they go dark, are incredibly dangerous and they will do the worst things imaginable. And yes, they will, they will try to instigate the population to come at them so that they can use that as an excuse to retaliate. Think real long and hard about that, folks, because it can happen. It absolutely can happen. And sometimes governments really don't need much of an excuse either. They don't even need a shooting war to start shooting at their own people. Do you remember Tiananmen Square? I mean, China doesn't like to talk about that, obviously. But I've seen the pictures, and I've seen the video of the people running through the streets, and I've listened to the witnesses who were actually there, American journalists who were there. And I, I know that people were shot in the back with AK-47s by their own military. 
China tries to deny that, by the way, to this day. Ah, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Well, explain the pictures. Explain the video. Explain all of it. You can't. When countries go dark, when governments go dark, these things happen. You know, and if the, the people of Tiananmen Square had been able to shoot back, things, things would have been a little bit different. It might have been a heck of a lot more bloody, but they probably would have been different. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you actually suggesting that the people of Tiananmen Square should have shot back against Chinese regular troops, if that's what the situation calls for? It's what the American founding fathers did. I, I love how we, you know, some people will celebrate the uh, America's founding fathers, they really will, and they'll say, oh, it's great, and they'll celebrate Independence Day and all the rest of it, but they don't ever really think about what these men actually did. They don't actually stop and think, these guys fought a war for years. Many thousands of people died, and we celebrated on the one hand, or at least, I mean, some people do, but on the other hand, completely don't really acknowledge what they went through. And what they did. So yes, when necessary, if people's liberty and their lives are being threatened by their own government, by their own standing army, they should shoot back. That's what the Founding Fathers did, and it was the right thing to do. We're going to talk about that when we get closer to 17... When we get to the middle of 1775. We're going to, believe me, we're going to have a long conversation about this. Because when, when, when these people had British muskets pointed at them, and the British soldiers were going to fire on them and kill them, the American colonists, they fought, they shot back. And rightfully so. It was the right thing to do. I firmly believe that. You can disagree with me if you want to. You can say, well, Roman, for crying out loud, it's never okay to shoot at anybody for any reason, under any circumstance, especially, you know, the, the soldiers from your own military. You can't shoot at them. You should never do that. So, okay, great. So your, your solution is just deal with the oppression and deal with the tyranny. And maybe in 500, 600 years, it'll go away. But until then, five, six hundred years of oppression and tyranny is what people should endure. Because they tried the peaceful way and it wasn't going to work. What do you think? The, the, after that shooting war erupted, that the Congress was going to reach some peaceful resolution with the king? No. And believe me, they, they tried. It, it didn't work. Okay. Uh, I had more letters for this episode, but we are we are very long in this episode. Or probably we're going to be. I don't know where the final cut's going to end up at, but in my, my recording right now, it's getting a little bit long. And I still have the third section of this podcast to get to. And I try to keep the time down out of respect for you folks, your time availability. I don't want you to have to spend too much time listening to one episode of this podcast. And by the way, if you folks want to comment on that, the length of the uh, these feature-length episodes that we do for the Monday episode, uh, feel free to leave me a review and comment on it. You know, Let me know if an hour is not long enough, if you're willing to go longer than an hour with this or what. I'll finish the uh, the other letters that I had lined up for this episode on... I may I may just do it on the next episode, which was supposed to be a shorter length episode, like typically the Thursday episodes are. But maybe I'll roll these in there, or maybe I'll just save them till next uh, next Monday episode. One of the two. But either way, we will finish this discussion. But I hope that this was informative to you. It should have been because there was a lot of really good content in here. I mean, tell me where else you're going to get this. You're going to have this discussion about William Tudor and 5,000 firelocks being sold in Boston, the military preparations being made in Boston by the British troops, 300 soldiers constantly at work, regiments on their way from Quebec, Newfoundland, and Europe. Where are you going to hear all that, you know, in one episode on the Founding Fathers? You're probably not going to hear it anywhere. But um, thank you for joining me on this episode. Let's finish up these, uh, let's finish up the concluding remarks to this episode in the next section. Let's do that right now. All right. I tell you what, you know, those are some good letters. Uh, again, I'm sorry I didn't have time to finish all of them that I had planned for today. We ran up against the clock on that one, but they will show up in the next feature-length podcast. Either that'll be on the Thursday broadcast or it'll be on the Monday broadcast. In other words, it'll either be episode 27 or 28. So uh, we'll talk about it then. But now you know the story of the uh, the guns of Boston. Uh, the 5,000 fire locks that were purchased out of Boston during this particular period. At least 5,000, according to uh, our letters that we studied here today. 
And, you know, this is a comprehensive, in-depth history of the Founding Fathers. This isn't the this isn't the you know TLDR version as I as I would say typically. This is um if you want to if you want the in depth uh, analysis of what what happened during this period of time, this is the podcast for you. And that's why I you know I give you folks so much credit for really listening to this podcast. A lot of people just want kind of the the very basic run through of what happened during the founding of the country. We're we're really kind of getting off into the details here with the letters because there's a lot of there's a lot, a lot of detail in these letters. There really is about all kinds of stuff. And keep in mind, we're only we're only at 1774 and 1775 right now. When is when is this podcast going to end? Probably in the it's it, you deep into the 1800s. Just there, there's a hint for you. <laughs> we got a ways to go yet, don't we? Uh, so yeah, we, you know we're going to keep doing this uh, to the extent possible. And your support means the world. That's why I'm so grateful that you folks share the podcast. You know, and what I mean when I say, you know, in the first section of this podcast that this this podcast is going to be a metric. And it's not going to be the only metric. It's just going to be one metric of whether or not the United States survives or it doesn't. Because, you know, connect the dots. Remember how I say that if you don't understand the past, you cannot understand today. And you definitely cannot understand tomorrow. A country that doesn't understand its past cannot exist. It can, not for any length of time. It can live on borrowed time for a while, uh, but eventually it uh, collapses in on itself and it dies. And I, I hate to be so so harsh about it and so so blunt, but that's just the way it is. And you know, like I said, this podcast makes it super super easy to study this stuff because I do the research, I pull the letters, I analyze it, I do the markups, I do it all. And this is a study group where you just have to show up and really just listen to the uh, the research, really. And like I said, it provides a good format for us to do an in-depth study of this material for those who want to participate. And the people who do participate in this podcast are going to be some of the the few who really understand this material. You're gonna you're gonna know more about. I've said it before. You guys are gonna know more about this particular time period and how the United States got started than 99 percent of the rest of the country or the rest of the world for that matter and either that's a good thing uh to you 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 take uh you take some pleasure in knowing that that's going to be the case or eh, it doesn't matter and if you're here to listen to this podcast I, I think it probably matters and if this is the first episode you're listening to if you just happen to be cruising in on this episode that's our goal here is really just to uh educate and inform ourselves including me I, doing this podcast and doing the research, I learned things that, I, that I've that i never learned before. Now, I could just do that research on my own and keep it to myself. It would save me a lot of time. I mean, you folks have no idea how much time I spent editing the podcast, doing the, the technical back-end work, the uploading, the management, the IT stuff, the hardware stuff, and all the rest of it. I could, I could do three, four, five times as much research as I do if I didn't do the podcast. But where would be the fun in that? then who else would be the beneficiaries of my research? I want to make, you know, I want to try to do something that everybody in the country has access to so that nobody has any excuses. That's part. That's partly why I do this. And if at the end of the day, you know, when I say that this, this podcast is going to be a metric for whether or not people actually decide to remember the, the history of the founding or not, that's it's basically it And at the end of the day. You know, if, if a, a, a wide swath of the population decides... That this material is simply not for them. They're basically saying that the United States of America is, eh, nothing much at all to concern themselves with. That's a heck of a statement, isn't it? And I really do believe that. You might say, oh, Roman, you're, you're being egotistical. No, this isn't about me. This isn't, this isn't me talking on this podcast. For the most part, it's the Founding Fathers. And what would the Founding Fathers say if they were here? We already know what John Adams feels about this. Heck, in the 1800s, he felt like everybody had basically abandoned the revolution. 
What would he say about us today? Probably nothing good. So I'm trying to uh, trying to make sure that John Adams and people like him don't have you know too many bad things to say about us. Uh, that is to say, you know the uh, what he would what he what he would see as the future of the United States of America. And I think the I think the least sacrifice that we can make is to study the material because it's real easy. Now it is. I mean, it wasn't you know three or four months ago. It was not easy to study this material. I mean, it, 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 depending on what your definition of easy is, it was relatively easy considering. But you know, about three months ago or so, it became a heck of a lot easier, didn't it? When this podcast came around. So again, there's no excuse anymore for people not to study this material. That's kind of my my summation of um, my argument for today. Is there's there's really no excuse. So hopefully, it, you know, the the podcast does actually spread the message of the Founding Fathers, whether whether people agree with it or disagree with it. Frankly speaking, I, I it doesn't matter. It's really all about keeping this particular part of history alive so that people understand it. And the good news is we got, well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of details to be found in, in these letters, and it's it's really fantastic to study, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly you folks agree with me, especially those folks who are recurring listeners of the podcast. There's a number of you out there who uh, keep coming back to download more podcasts. There's a bunch of you. And like I you know, like I said, it's it's just fantastic that you do that. Uh, I really am very, very grateful to you folks. And so on the next episode, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the march going on and we're gonna keep this party rolling. And we're gonna learn some more from the Founding Fathers. I got those other letters that I didn't get to today, including one one that's very short, but I really like it. And there's something about it that touches me. And I, I think it reaches out from history and really communicates something interesting. There's, there's so, just something about it. And maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I'll, I'll, I'll get to that on the next feature-length episode of the podcast. Or I'll, maybe I'll make that a short podcast in and of itself. I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, maybe that'll be my short podcast for this, this later this week Thursday episode. We'll see. And uh, like I said, if any of you folks have any comments, any reviews that you want to leave about the podcast, feel free to do so on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment or review. Uh, no charge there. Or alternatively, uh, you can go over to Patreon and leave comment or questions there. There is a charge there, of course, for the subscription podcast. But good news, that's a whole other podcast that you get access to over there. That's basically what you pay for over there, is the uh, the extra podcast that I do. Not required, but I certainly do appreciate it if you choose to subscribe over there. Entirely up to you. Uh, with all of that said, I certainly hope again that everybody's having a great new year. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good opportunity to to hit the refresh button if you so choose. New Year's resolutions and all that for those of you who do the New Year's resolutions. I you know I don't really think too much about New Year's resolutions. Like I said before, I just kind of I, I use it. I take it a, a, the opportunity to see okay where where have I been? Where am I going? And what do I want to do with this year? And part of it is, you know, to continue to do this podcast and to, to keep doing a better and better job at it and, and to keep making the podcast a little bit better as I go. I, I've recently changed out my hardware that I used to record this podcast. I don't know if anybody noticed a, a change in the sound of the podcast. I did, by the way. I, uh, I do take the time to listen to these podcasts that I record. And I, I try to listen for things in the audio that I want to fix or correct or whatever, what have you. And I, I think I found a few things that I was able to fix and work out. And I'm, I'm still working on that as, as I go. And I think I've got a little bit of a better hardware setup now. I put a lot of thought into the initial hardware setup. It just didn't uh, go as quite as well as I'd hoped it would. In other words, it wasn't it wasn't quite on the level that I wanted. I think this latest version is is better. If you think so, leave a review and tell me that. If not, then... uh. 
leave a review and tell me that. But with all of that said, I'm going to look forward to the next episode, and I certainly look forward to seeing you folks there on the next episode so we can continue this march through history and keeping the, uh, the voice of the Founding Fathers alive and well in the 21st century. So please come back and join me on that episode. Uh, tell a friend to come back as well and uh, join us on our study group here. And with that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you.